The physicality of the sport and the emotion people don't quite understand until they've seen it, done it, played it, been a part of it. If you don't try it, you, you'll never know. Get out and give it a go, because, yeah, why not? And if it, if it doesn't work for you, then at least you've tried it. You haven't lost anything. And if it does work for you, then who knows what might happen. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome, Chrysler. Welcome to another episode of the Hashtag Just Ask podcast. I'm your host, James Ledger, T12 100m sprinter. And I have another fantastic show lined up today. I just want to highlight why these podcasts were created. So the National Youth Board for Disability Sport Wales created this podcast to provide people the opportunity to hear about some of the fantastic things that Disability Sport Wales are doing and provide you with some information that you might want to take home and uh, use yourself in your own day-to-day -day life. So today's show is a very exciting show and we are going to be talking about the sport of boccia. DSW received some sad news as well over the last couple of weeks and a fantastic boccia player, a Paralympian and a real tactician of the sport, Jacob Thomas, sadly passed away. So we wanted to use this, this podcast as, as highlighting boccia, but we also wanted to pay respects to Jacob, to his friends and his family. So my first guest, I'm really, really excited to have, have this guest on the show. He's a multiple Paralympian, medalist, world champion, world number one. He's also an MBE as well. So I'm very, very excited to have David Smith on the show. How are you doing, David? You okay? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah, not too bad. David, talk to us a little about, about boccia. What, what is boccia for people at home who, who haven't heard of the sport? So boccia is a bowls type game for people with severe disabilities. It's um, similar to ball or batonk, so played across the continent. And uh, the aim of the game is to get our balls closer to the jack than the jack being the white ball uh, than our opponents. The balls are kind of soft, leathery balls played on a kind of hard surface, usually indoors on like a badminton court. Although to be fair, it's such an accessible game. Um, in Germany, for example, they use it as a grass sport, and yeah, it's played recreationally around the world. So it's uh, it's a uh, it's got um, multiple uses. For this purpose, um, it's a competitive Paralympic sport, um, and there's no direct Olympic equivalent. And actually, the athletes who compete in the Paralympics are usually the most severely uh, disabled as well. Sounds like a very tactical, strategic game. Am I right? Yeah. Um. It. It's like most game ball games, there's a large element of tactics involved. I think Boccia doesn't get a lot of credit for the physicality. Um, we were always been told at Paralympics how surprised people are, how aggressive the players are and how hard we have to throw the balls to reach the back of the court and how much effort goes in to control the spasms if you've got cerebral palsy. Um, and obviously the effort for the guys with muscular dystrophy and other uh, muscle weakness conditions where... Yeah, you know, the amount of effort for them to just lift their heads to be able to push the ball off the top of the ramps um, because the uh, some of the players use um, what we call assistive devices or ramps, similar to what you'd get in 10-pin uh, bowling where they have those uh, metal ramps to help people that can't bowl the ball properly. Um, so, we again, we have a similar device to that, although our devices 
uh, considerably more technical. Um, <laughs> and ours are actually made of carbon fiber um, hey, and cost a considerable, considerable amount more as well. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, it's, and again, so the physicality of the sport and the emotion, um, I think uh, people don't quite understand um, until they've seen it, done it, played it, been a part of it. Um, so, yeah, that's the, that's the selling point. And I think you touched upon it there about the emotion. So I watched the, um, the Rise in Phoenix documentary recently uh, on Netflix. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that, um, that scene in Rio... I think um, when they show a game of botcher and, and the crowd were going wild, like a, it was almost like a Brazilian football match, wasn't it? And I, I, th- yeah, I think the that judges... Was great. Yeah, the Brazilian, think... the Brazilian crowd were awesome because they just didn't know when to shut up. And it was awesome. <laughs> um, um, and like a lot of the organisers were very conservative about it. And, oh, we need to keep it quiet, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But all, um, all the athletes were like, I, I was one of the guys that were like, no, let them yell absolutely we, we don't get a crowd normally so we yeah. might as well milk it while we can yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously uh, the brazilians uh, in the vc freeze um obviously winning the paralympics they were rank outsiders going into the tournament like they, they had no chance yeah. um so you know Incredible. to do it on home turf and yeah it, it was emotional it was probably the best thing that could have happened to the sport to be honest then winning um for the for the BC free pairs and just yeah. yeah just the nature of disability obviously Jacob's classification as well um okay. so yeah um, okay oh, so you touched on it a little bit there I think you mentioned BC free so talk to us a little bit about the classification system what classification are you and and what does that mean no problem so so botcher in, in in Paralympics we have four classifications that compete um so and it, and it numbered conveniently one two three and four so BC just stands for botcher classification um okay. and then the number behind it just sort of d- denotes which one you're in so I'm a BC one um so BC ones uh, tend to have cerebral palsy or similar brain uh neurological dysfunction um and um, usually means that we struggle to sort of sit upright, can't propel a manual wheelchair, um, have sort of core or balance issues. Um, and yeah, but we can just about manage to throw a botchable. Um, and then the next classification would be BC2, which are again with the cerebral palsy or sort of uh, brain uh, sort of neuro uh, disability. Um, slightly more able um so they can propel manual wheelchairs they've got slightly better core but they're still heavily limited um so they're not going to be playing uh wheelchair racing anytime soon or anything like that or um, or wheelchair basketball um or anything uh, so physical um so yeah and that's the sort of the brain sort of injury side and then and then you've got the bc freeze which is a kind of a an amalgamation of all disabilities, but anybody that really can't throw a botchable. So if you're okay. unable to power the ball, you then become a BC free or a ramp player, as we call them. Um, and they use the device, um, like I was describing earlier, um, and they would have an assistant on court with them as well, um, facing backwards to control the ramp for them. Um, and yeah, that they kind of almost act like robots while the player kind of tells them how to line up the ramp how high, how much extension to put on it, um, and where to where to aim it, etc. Um, then the next classification is uh, BC4, um, which is similar to uh, BC1 and 2. Um, the, the difference is the disabilities are not sort of related to brain injury. Um, so they're normally 
sort of more paraplegic or even sort of a mild, more mild form of uh, muscular dystrophy or um, some or any or dwarfism potentially as well um so yeah there's there's a kind of a wide scope in the dc4 classification okay. um but yeah so it's that those four classes sort of cover that all the bases a lot of opportunity for people to play regardless of their disability then but yeah absolutely yeah botcher is the most inclusive paralympic sport um if you if there's if you don't think you can play a sport you can probably play botcher it's nice to hear a little bit more about the sport in in depth and in in absolute great detail um so i hope everyone listening at home has, has listened to that and you know hopefully taken on that yes you can play so go and give it a go and for somebody who did give it a go david you've had a very successful career um yeah. let's talk about where did this all start and that's how many years ago was that um so i started playing about 26 uh yeah 25 years ago so I was at a special school in Southampton because I, my, originally I was born in Southampton and I went to a special school there and we played boccia sort of very, very sporadically, um, but for going up to Stoke Mandeville for like uh, national junior games where they would sort of give disabled kids a chance to play different sports. Um, and boccia was one of the sports that we took part in amongst other things. Um, I wasn't very good. I used to throw sideways and I couldn't hit a barn door. Um, <laughs> um, but, um, but eventually I figured out that throwing forwards was the way to go and pointing at the target. Um, and things sort of progressed when I moved schools. I went to a place called Trelaws, which is um, in Alton, again in Hampshire. And uh, that was a boarding school. And there it was very heavily sort of focused on independence and encouraging disabled people to get out and do things and uh yeah and, and i kind of flourished in that environment of uh go for it i i started there as a shy eastly lad and uh left as smithy awesome <laughs> and that's, that that's what you want yeah did you face uh, any any challenges just out of curiosity um I, kind of I, I guess i was kind of shielded from it all because being in a that sort of environment um but the, all my challenges i sort of faced probably moving when I'm my biggest challenge was probably moving to Swansea um, and mm. starting uni. But at that point, my confidence was quite high. I'd just won the Paralympics in Beijing. So I was, uh, I was feeling pretty good about myself at that point. Yeah. And, you know, being 19, fully confident. Uh, yeah. I was like any other 19 year old who just won a Paralympic games. Um, really? I was, uh, I, I didn't feel like anybody could stop me particularly. Um, so I just got on with it. Absolutely. And yeah, it was so top of that mountain, and, isn't it? Yeah, and, and Swansea were uh, the, the uni were really accommodating anyway, so it was it was it was almost too easy. But uh, yeah, it was uh, so so again, I, I missed a lot of the challenges when I was younger because I was in the right environment, um, yeah. and yeah, I got lucky. Um, and obviously, being successful at the sport, I actually wasn't particularly interested in boccia when I was younger. Uh, I found it a bit boring compared to wheelchair hockey, athletics, and all the other sports that we were playing at Trelaws. But um, I got a bit as you started winning and I started seeing the progression and we had like in Boccia, there's a much better competition structure. Um, and, uh, and there's always a progression. There's always another step forward. And as I went through the, through the steps, it got harder and it got more interesting. Um, and yeah, so that was for me, the, 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 the selling point for Boccia, the w winning became a drug. I like that. I like that saying winning become a drug. That's, that's awesome. Did you find as you were going through the, the progressions of Boccia, your, your game was developing massively 
in all aspects. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. Lo- I, I ne- I've never lost that many games in my career. So every every loss, I probably felt harder than most people would. Um, yeah. But it it was quite. It was good because it gave me that chance to learn. Because you don't really learn anything from your victories, um, other than you're doing everything okay, um, yeah. and you don't change anything. Uh, but it's it defeats become more important to kind of learn and to uh, to try and improve. And I became a perfect perfectionist quite quickly. And uh, and botcher just gives you that outlet to really focus in on uh, you know winning and how to do better and. There's always games that I can remember losing and then going back home immediately and sort of re- replaying the ends and sort of going about it again and how would I do it differently in the future and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then obviously changing balls, changing chair and all sorts of things in, in my career um, just to just to stay ahead of the game. Yeah, I think exactly. that's a really important lesson, though, you just said about, about losing, like, especially for our younger listeners. Like, if you do lose that, it's okay. You learn from your losses, as you're saying. So you, you yeah. learn less from winning, won't you? So yes, I think that's a really, really good point, actually. Yeah, it's really important that you're upset about it. Like you've got to, you've got to feel it. Like you've got to be like, oh, I don't want to lose again. Absolutely, it's got to mean yeah. something to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you, so you know, uh, but, but yeah, it's really important to take away from it the reflections, um, and and not, uh, not give up at that point. You know, if you keep looking for the, oh, I could, you know. If you come out of a game thinking, I lost that, but actually I can see where I could have won. So you mentioned Paralympic success. What what have the games been like? How has the experience been going to a Paralympic Games? Um, so Beijing was very strange, but awesome. And yeah, and obviously uh, being so young and inexperienced, I didn't do so well in the individuals in that tournament. I just, yeah, I just wasn't ready, I don't think. I, I went in as world champion, but I expected it all to be the same again. And, and you know, anybody going into a Paralympics can tell you it's just not the same. It's not it's not like any other tournament you're ever going to compete at. So, yeah, um, that was a bit of naivety on my part. But I can forgive myself that. I was 19. Um, so, um, um, But, yeah, going into London and stuff, obviously it changed again of being home games. Actually, probably the first time I had friends and family watching me play properly because... When I was traveling around the world, they were just hearing my results. There was no sort of live streaming or anything like that, so they couldn't watch. So going into London to be able to watch me first time was probably the uh, a big a big moment for me personally. My parents had just sort of, when I went to Trelaws, kind of just left me to it and let me get on with it, which I quite liked. Just mm. I'm quite an independent person, so they just kind of, they were just like, yeah, go on. And I used to travel around the country and sort of support staff from the from the college and the school. Um, but, but obviously for them to see it in London, to actually finally go, oh yeah, this is what he does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was quite nice. And obviously all other friends from different backgrounds as well. Uh, and my different circles all coming together to support me was quite nice. So um, so yeah, that was uh, London was massive. And obviously getting the two medals, uh, not just doing well in the team, but doing well in individuals was a turning point for me. Well, again, probably that independence of being able to you know do it on my own not just having to rely on teammates. Um, yeah. And then obviously Rio then became about, can I go, can I take it that next step? Can I, uh, you know, bronze and silver were lovely, but um, I wanted gold. Um, I'd got the gold in Beijing and I was sort of getting a bit hungry for a bit more of that. So uh, again, uh, Rio was all about winning gold um, for me. And we didn't do so well in the team, uh, but we was in transition at that point. And, uh, individually yeah it was a very difficult tournament and I had to fight really hard to get it but um yeah it was uh it was quite satisfying to finally get over the line um and get that victory 
You've been all over the world. Is a have you got a favorite place that you've been? Oh, uh, difficult. I, they're all kind of different. Um, I, I guess, I guess my favorite place is Swansea because I mean it's because my home was Eastleigh um, growing up, but I moved to Swansea and I kind of fell in love with it, uh, just with the the clean air, the beaches, and the you know the ability, the wheelchair access, and the ability for me to do what I want when I wanted. Um, fantastic people of course <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah. wouldn't all be possible without without the people um and so yeah that's a, so i guess swansea but i mean in terms of abroad like i've been to hong kong and that's awesome i really liked hong kong uh, vancouver was cool in europe i've really liked i, I liked poland uh, i went to poznan a couple of times that was really cool um yeah so i, I i've been all over the place and I, I yeah probably the only place i haven't been actually are africa and sort of australia so those are the two in sort of my bucket list. Um, okay, to be confirmed, point. definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't have a I don't have a particular favourite of abroad. I, I everybody everybody's got their own little tweak, every yeah. little quirks and stuff that interesting. It's always it's always nice to see new places and obviously new environments and different humidities and different heats and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's fantastic. Like I've spoken to a few people who were involved in sport and. It's, it's so cool that sport is able to to take you all over the world it, it's, it's it's mad and i think it's one of, probably one of the best parts about sport is being able to have that opportunity to to see the world isn't it you know yeah it definitely gets me gets you out of that sort of one place mindset i think uh, yeah. i think i got that a little bit from trelaws when i moved there from eastleigh otherwise i would have been an eastleigh boy all my life i think and i would have been, <laughs> I would have been in a little town of eastleigh um but yeah, I think just seeing the bigger picture and seeing the wider world has really helped me uh, develop. It's such a fantastic sport, Botcher, and it's obviously it hasn't just shaped you as a as a sports person, but as a person as well. So, what advice would you give the listeners now about Botcher? What would you say to them who are maybe on the edge or sitting on the fence about going or have never tried before? What would you say to these people? Well, I, I kind of think that you, if you don't try it, you you'll never know. And I, and I think um, I think a lot of people kind of just sit on that kind of oh maybe later kind of side of things. But actually, life's for living. And you know we've got the pandemic at the minute that's stopping uh, sport happening. But you know it should bring into focus everybody that we're all on this planet for a limited amount of time, um, and it doesn't have to be sat indoors. Um, and actually get out and give it a go because um, yeah, why not? Like. And if it, if it doesn't work for you, then at least you've tried it. You haven't lost anything. Um, and, and if it does work for you, then who knows uh, what might happen. Who knows what doors may open. So, yeah, definitely, guys, anyone listening, just go and give it a go. You never know what opportunities are out there for you. So, amazing. David, what social medias can, can people follow your, your journey on? Um, so, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Um, yeah, so... On Instagram, it's just um, Smithy2389. Uh, um, and on Twitter, at um, Botcher Smithy. Equally, if you want to see uh, Botcher online, you can look at Botcher on YouTube. There's lots of matches of me and others playing. I think even Jacob might be on the YouTube as well from, from way back when, uh, before he retired. So, yeah, again, there's lots of um, inspir- in lots of different ways for you to catch up with Botcher. Um, and, yeah, just Google it um yeah you, you can there's all sorts of different me, means to get in touch and get involved so yeah um 
I, I would like to just add about uh, a few things about Jacob, if I can, before we absolutely, uh, mate. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, so I met Jacob actually not long after I moved to Swansea. So Jacob sort of came on to the development program um, as I was going into my sort of uh, twenty the twenty twelve cycle, um, having sort of been the Paralympic champion from Beijing, and obviously I was going through my development at that point. Um, and I, I met Jacob at a time where I was struggling individually um just just probably just moving from that sort of amateur mindset to a more professional one um and and i used to go down to narbuff uh quite a lot to train with jacob um and uh, yeah it was just his relentless accuracy and attention to detail really sort of pushed me to be a better player um being different classes it, it, he was at a different standard to me at that point um and i had to work really hard to give him a challenge um and yeah it was it wasn't pretty at times, but um, it was uh, um, it was really nice to be able to obviously train with him. And obviously I was able to give him my sort of flair and sort of individuality and that confidence and to try stuff and all that sort of stuff. And he was able to give me the sort of attention to detail and, uh, yeah, that sort of relentless accuracy, um, just grinding people down. Um, and, yeah, he was – without him, there would – a lot of the GB players wouldn't be where they are now. A lot of the sort of development um, stuff that we've gained and the knowledge that we have now, um, a lot of it's through Jacob. So uh, some of the balls that we play with now, again, were first sort of developed by Jacob and myself when we were training together. Um, and yeah, so, and ramps and how to play and the tactics to use and how aggressive to play, all that sort of stuff. Again, he was the pioneer in that sense. So uh, yeah. I think myself and everybody from GB would would really like to obviously think for his family and uh, yeah, it's still a, a very raw time for all of us. But yeah, like incredibly sad, mate. Definitely, he sounds like an absolute pioneer of the sport, and his legacy will live on through people like yourself and, and Thomas and everyone at Disability Sport Wales and GB Botcher as well to yeah. continue, you know, to show people around the world, not just in Great Britain, what an incredible sport this is on and off court. So amazingly said, mate. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, David, for, for joining me. I, I, I've loved having you on the show and, and hearing your story um, is, is, is incredible to see what you've achieved and what you will continue to go on to achieve. So thank you so much for, for coming on and uh, hopefully catch up with you soon, maybe in Swansea. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Hi, I'm Harry Jenkins, and you're listening to the Just Ask podcast. Just Ask. Gofynnwch. Just Ask. Wow, what a first part of the show. Uh, hearing from David Smith, MBE, all about Botcher and his career. He also made a fantastic tribute to, to Jacob Thomas as well. We're going to be moving on to a bit more about Jacob and, and to respect him and, and his friends and family. We're, all, we're going to be hearing from Thomas Martin, who is an, an incredible botcher player himself, who plays for Wales, and he is also a second-year student in USW. He's also a massive Cardiff City fan as well, so I'm sure we'll be hearing all about that. We're also going to be hearing from Lucy Gleason, who's a psychotherapist who provides emotional support for people during times of bereavement and loss. So she's going to be sharing her knowledge and skills and potentially provide you guys the strategies to help you at home 
deal with loss and bereavement. But now I'm going to introduce you to Thomas Martin, who is a, a botcher player, a USW student, and I know he's a very big Bluebirds Cardiff City fan. <laughs> and also we have Lucy Gleason, who is a, a psychotherapist. They're going to be talking today a bit about botcher, and they're going to be talking about the sad news we had over the last couple of weeks about Jacob Thomas sadly passing away. Thomas was a very good friend of Jacob and a teammate as well. So he's going to talk about Jacob as a person, but also as a sports person as well. So I'm going to start with you, Thomas. How are you doing, mate? You okay? Yeah, not too bad. Tom, let's start from your point of view, your journey, when when did you start playing botcher? Because I know you're a very talented player yourself. I I I probably started playing botcher when I was about ten years ago. So Tom, how long have you been playing botcher for? Maybe I'll ask your mum, Deb. And hopefully we won't give you a joy. <laughs> so Tom was about um, age 10 when we first started properly playing. So we'd yeah, sort yeah. of um, done like the grassroots stuff before that. Um, and um, he's been playing for about 16 years on and off. Oh, that's awesome. And how did he find it when he first joined Boccio? Like what, what got him involved? Initially, we were looking for sport, really. Um, Tom, as you know, loved football or loves football. Um, Dad got him involved in that. Um, so he's been looking for something that he could do himself, really. So we went to some of uh, Joanne Cope's um, uh, weekend multi um, sports that she did. So we started going to them originally, which held lots of different sports like basketball. Um, and we met a lady there called Andor Anderson. Um, who was um, at the time um, running a club in Bridgend to do with Boccia and that's how we got involved in the beginning. That's awesome. So yeah, anyone who doesn't know, Joe Coates-McGrath is the Disability Sport Wales officer for Cardiff. So yeah, if anyone's in the Cardiff area and wants to get involved in disability sport, feel free to, to message Joe. Um, but yeah, so that's cool. So what, what do you enjoy about Botcher, Tom. What what what's your favourite thing about the sport? Um, we would have said um, the being involved with a sport, um, the camaraderie of all the other people within the sport. Um, it's quite a tactical sport, so I think he likes the fact that it's tactical and it's something you've got to think about. It's not just about um, the ball going out onto the court. Absolutely, and, yeah, and I've, I've seen lots of games and it is extremely tactical. He also, it's because it's for him, it's, it's, it's his sport, um, and that's something that he can do for himself. He doesn't need somebody else to do it for him. Absolutely, agreed. And I watched a YouTube video the other day, actually, um, that Thomas did, um, and he was doing some botcher drills. So yeah, check that out on our YouTube channel, guys. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's so impressive. Yeah, it's, I've seen Tom 
uh, throwing a, a debauch of balls into a bucket and <laughs> taking down toilet rolls and all sorts. It was, it, <laughs> it was yeah, very it was impressive. Of, it was to have a bit of fun as well through lockdown and everything. I think people were trying to do different things. Obviously, you know, there's been some, some terrible news over over the last couple of weeks about Jacob. I know he's a huge loss to the botcher world and, and disability sport Wales as a whole. Very, very, very sad. And, you know, I'm, I... I speak for everyone in Disability Sport Wales where our hearts go out to all his family and friends. Deb, I'm sure you knew Jacob as well, being around the botcher circuit. What was he like as a person, first of all? Um, uh, as you said, massive loss, massive loss. Very devastated here, to be honest. Um, very close with the family anyway. Um, and as we said, we started playing when we were 10. And that's where we very, very first met Jacob was at um, Tom's first Welsh Nationals um, at Sapphire Gardens at Sport Wales. Um, and they've been friends ever since, really, um, with him and the family. Um, um, very calm young man, very um, dignified, polite, um, happy, uh, generous. Uh, They'd all be positive words, to be honest with you. Um, never ever saw him, you know, get flustered or or in a bit of a tiz about anything. Or so very very calm person, very. So Tom, talk to us a little bit about Jacob. Firstly, as as a person, off court, and then as a sports person on court. Uh, I. Battles on court, but never yeah. off the court. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely bet the boss. Bet definitely, you brought the best out of each other, didn't you? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lucy, maybe it's a good time to bring you in here. Yes. It's um, it's obviously it's, no, it's extremely sad loss for for everyone DSW and especially. Thomas and, and, and Deb, who were, you know, seen Jacob in his in his highest of, of days playing the sport he loved. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about bereavement and, and grief. Let's what what is it? Okay. And yeah, as you said, James, I can, you know, really hear the impact of Jacob's loss on on the sport and of the people he was close to. And when we talk about bereavement and loss, they're words that we probably hear quite a lot. But bereavement really is the process that we go through as human beings when we lose someone that is close to us or we care about 
or someone even in the public eye that, that we know or is an inspiration to us. So it's really the process that we go through when we, when we experience a loss. Um, and so when we talk about grief, it's really that feeling that we feel, um, the kind of sorrow that we feel, but those feelings changes, uh, change as we go through the process. So maybe let's talk about maybe some of the common feelings and emotions we go through then when, we, when we're going through that grief phase. Yeah, so um, there's been a lot of research and studies and observations from psychologists and psychiatrists around what we go through with bereavement. And yeah, there are some stages, but it's not really a linear process. And so and I think it's important to recognise that quite often we feel different things than the people around us. So there's, there's no one real common way to feel. It's very individual, but there are some real stages. And in the beginning, it's been recognised that actually, especially if it was a shock, especially if the loss was sudden, then we can almost go into a bit of a denial phase straight away. Like it's really hard to um, comprehend what's happened. It doesn't feel real somehow. So we almost can feel a bit shocked or um, a bit confused by it. And so we don't really have any intense feelings at that time, almost feeling a little bit numb. And sometimes that can happen at the beginning. Um, and then as we kind of go through there and realise that this person has gone or there is a change that's come, some real anger can come with that. We can feel really angry that this person has gone um, or feel maybe some anxiety or some frustration, some feelings that quite often I don't think we associate um, with losing someone um, and I think sometimes we think that we should just be feeling sad but sometimes these feelings of shock or anger are really quite natural in the beginning. It just shows how complex this is and you know mm. we, ha we have a lot of young listeners so yes. I guess even more so going, going through something like this at a younger age is, is extremely complex. Yeah, it really is. And, and when you are a young person, quite often, not always, but quite often this is the first time you've experienced losing anybody. So the intense feelings that can arise can almost take you by surprise or, you know, or you're feeling quite numb about it, but you notice that the other people around you may be quite angry or quite sad. And that might leave you quite confused as well because you're feeling quite different. So there is a whole kind of melting pot of emotions that can happen when we experience these loss. And I guess for, for somebody like Jacob, you know, being a sports person myself, I've, I've built up some very big relationships and very intense mm. feelings towards my, my peers because I've experienced things that I'd never have with anyone else bar the people on my team. Yeah. So you've almost built an even bigger special bond, like Thomas has spoke about with Jacob. You know, they've they've developed a bond that probably no one else shared on being on court and being in doing the sport they love. Yeah. So that's even hard itself, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think you do really build these really kind of important friendships and communities. And so sometimes that is hard to understand. And for anybody else, but it's it can be such a special 
kind of friendship and community that you build. So it feels like a sport with a lot of emotion anyway, and that might come through too in, in someone's you know, bereavement process. What, what kind of advice or even strategies would you say to people who are potentially going through some bereavement and, and, or grief? Because I guess, sadly, in our lives and a part of being a human is that at one stage we are going to feel these feelings. So how, how do we best prepare ourselves to deal with them? Yeah. Definitely. We, we all go through some, some sort of loss in our lives. And so the things that we can do to support ourselves are really number one, I think, is to fundamentally look after yourself. Those healthy habits that we know about, things like ensure we're getting enough sleep, ensure we're, we're eating well, and if, we're, if we exercise or whatever we do to keep ourselves healthy, try and have elements of those in our lives. Because when, quite often when we're feeling these intense feelings of anger or sadness or we're going through those, sometimes they can slip. And they're our baseline. So try as much as you can to keep those in would be number one. The second thing I would do is is try and give yourself permission to actually grieve, to feel some of the things that you're feeling and know that whatever it is, however confusing it is at the time, it's allow yourself to feel it. Okay? Don't try and push it away. Just, just accept what's coming up and notice because all the feelings that you're feeling are valid, whether they're sadness, whether they're anger, you know, whether they're actually times where you feel quite happy when you look back at somebody's life. You know, you might be thinking about Jacob and thinking about what he brought to the sport or a particular tournament or event that stuck in your mind and you may feel pride or happy with that. And some people have guilt about that, but it's all part of it. It's all really important to feel all of that. So don't compare yourself to other people. Whatever you're feeling, let that be your feelings and don't worry that it's different than somebody else. Because if we try and push it away or we try and say, I shouldn't be feeling that because everybody else is feeling this, then you're not honouring your own grieving process and that will be individual for you. The next thing I would say is talk to people about it. Talk to people about how you're feeling. And it might be your friends or your family. It may be something like a counsellor or somebody else that is completely out of your network. But try and talk about what's coming up for you. Try not to isolate yourself. So you can talk about what's happening. And again, it helps with the whole um, grieving process, the, the process of bereavement to talk about it. So then, uh, I don't think we're very good at doing this in our society, but identify what it is that you need while you're going through this and ask for it. <laughs> ask for what you need so you can support yourself. And I think that actually really ties in nicely to the to the title of this podcast, which is hashtag just ask. Yeah. I think it's, it's never be afraid to ask the question because there, there are people out there to help you, especially in these difficult times as well. Do you, do you have any resources loose or websites which you would direct people yeah so um cruise bereavement care c-r-u-s-e is a great resource um they've been going for over 60 years now 
And if you go onto their website, they've got um, a lot of information about what we've talked about today and about bereavement. Um, but they've also um, got a, um, a, a telephone number that you can call. And they've also got local sites as well. And they're all over the UK and they've got seven sites across Wales as well. So they've got lots of local sites. Um, what they've also got is a youth website called Hope Again. So if you're, um, if you're younger, then you can um, contact them and it's specifically targeted for that age range. So Cruise is a great resource that you can use. Um, but there's also one-to-one -one counselling, group counselling. And if you're really struggling with your feelings, you can always go and see your GP. So there's lots of places that you can reach out. Amazing. Thank you very much, Lucy. There's some absolute golden nuggets of information there that I hope people can, can listen and, and, and take away from this podcast. Tom, Deb, I'm going to come back to you guys as, a, as kind of a final kind of statement. What would you say, and this will tie into Jacob's legacy as a person, as, as, a, as a player for the sport he loved, what would you say to people who haven't heard about Botcher, who are maybe on the edge about going to their Botcher club, what would you say to them people about getting involved? Go and find a club. Go and try it. Um, don't just go the once, go several times. Go and check it out. Go to your local club. Guys, get involved. As, as Tom's saying, you know, he's a pioneer for Botcher, so keep going, keep going, keep going, because you will love this sport because it brings so many people together and it really does show what para sport is all about tom i'm i'm always i've only spoke to you for the last couple of weeks and i'm i'm really really proud of you for for coming on the podcast and and telling your story and, and talking about jacob who i know is a you know an extremely close friend of yours and you are doing him so proud and his legacy so keep doing what you're doing mate and keep showing the world what what botcher is is all about thank you tom deb and lucy for for joining me on this um hopefully this very informative podcast episode and i really appreciate your time and coming on the show so thank you very much for joining me and i'll uh, i'll see you all soon thank you thank you james What a fantastic show, guys. I think we definitely highlighted the sport of Boccia and I hope we, we paid a massive respect to Jacob, his family and friends. Thank you all once again for listening. Us all at Disability Sport Wales and the National Youth Board really appreciate your support and having you guys listen. I've been your host, James Ledger, and you've been listening to the Hashtag Just Ask podcast, and I'll hopefully see you on the next show. Thank you very much to all my guests and see you soon. <laughs>